disturbing, uh, horrible pictures of some of humanity's greatest struggles, worst tragedies. But I love the lyrics to that chorus. Why would I show something like that? Well, because I love the lyrics of that chorus that says, let mercy come and wash away what I've done. Let mercy come. Those words are the cry of every Christ follower, of everyone who holds on to hope. God, let your mercy come. And it reflects the epic grace that we all need in our life. God, come, fill us with your grace, your mercy. Let it come. And, and, and redeem, restore, renew the things that we have broken and messed up. Last week, we started a series about grace. And again, much of it taken from uh, my book. And today, I want to address how to live without regret by avoiding sin. And uh, you thought my pre-sermon sermon was a little um, difficult to hear. For some of you, this will be challenging. Because I specifically want to address the issue of sexual sin. You see, I run into it uh, all the time, talk to people um, many, 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 many times over the years where their marriage, their life, their relationships with others, with God, has been just nuked, has been blown up, has been damaged severely uh, because of sin and specifically because of sexual sin in their life. And it breaks my heart. And I wrote about this in my book. I wrote, confessed some of my own sin. 
And I want to share with you today some things that I think will encourage you and help you. A young man came to me about five or six years ago. Uh, he's left our church. He now lives in Colorado somewhere. But he uh, came to me. He was depressed, discouraged. Um, he was almost suicidal. And uh, he couldn't make eye contact with me as we were talking just because he was so uh, overcome uh, with guilt and shame. And he said, Kurt, I think I'm addicted to porn. I think I'm addicted to pornography. Now, this young man didn't plan on becoming a sex addict. But like millions of others in our culture, he made one poor, unwise choice after another until he became trapped by sin. And that's how sin works. That's how it works. I, I want you to understand that some of you get this, and this is a reminder, some of you need to really hear this today. The sin always, it, it draws us in. It's, it's, it, it is fun at first. There's an appeal. It satisfies this craving, and it feeds this part of our flesh that really sucks us into this dark hole. But we always end up, listen, we always end up with this unbearable burden of guilt and shame. We always end up broken and messed up. Sin always leads to death at some level. James wrote this in James 1, 13 to 15. No one who is tested should say, God is tempting me. This is because God is not tempted by any form of evil, nor does he tempt anyone. James saying, don't blame God. You can't put the finger on him. It's, it's your responsibility. He said, here's how it works. Everyone, that would include you and me, everyone is tempted by their own cravings. They are lured away and enticed by them. And once those cravings conceive, they give birth to sin. And when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. He said, we get lured away, enticed by these evil desires, these cravings. We let it simmer and, and germinate. It gives birth to the sin, and sin always, he says. This is the Bible, and it's truth. Not only is it in the Word, but I see it in lives. I've seen it in my life. It always leads at some level to death. It reeks of death. That's always where it ends. And a significant part of the problem is that we live in a culture that promotes a short view of life short view of, of the world around us. The attitude is go for the gusto. Just go for it. Hey, you only go around once. You might as well have as much fun as you can. Party hardy. Do whatever feels good because you, you know, this life's pretty short. And many people act out of passion without reason or wisdom or without any understanding of the consequences to their choices. Let me say that again because I just described the world. They act out of passion, without reason or wisdom, or any consideration of the consequences for their choices. We want what we want, and we want it now. And that's fed, that's promoted, that's encouraged by everything around us. And all too often, too many live for the moment without any thought for their future. And that breaks the heart of God, it breaks my heart. And unfortunately, it's broken many of our hearts. For a lot of people, uh, the, the words delayed gratification have almost no meaning whatsoever. In fact, here's a fun thing. Try this this week. In the coffee room, you know, break room, wherever you work or at school, say, hey, what do you think about delayed gratification? And you just get this blank stare. What? Delayed gratification. How do you feel about that? What are you talking about? It is such a foreign concept to our culture. Why would I wait for something I can have now? I'll just throw some you know, visa down and, and get it because I, I can pay for it later probably. Why would I wait for sex when I can have it now? I don't need to wait for marriage. Oh, that's just old-fashioned. Why would I wait when I can get what I want and I want it now and I can immediately experience the pleasure? And that is encouraged through everything around us in our culture. 
From the mindset of the people you work with and go to school with and their neighbors to what we see on television. God help us, television is horrible. Sitcoms and program after program. Some of you watch these things, you think, oh, it's just entertainment. No, it's promoting this concept, this belief that you can get what you want and that you really don't have to worry about the concept. Consider if you do, it'll be in the last 10 minutes of the program, it'll all work out. Have you found out yet in, the, in real life the last 10 minutes don't usually work out quite so well? Everything's not resolved in the last 10 minutes of an hour-long program. Our lives go differently. And is it any wonder that we live in a culture, and you don't hear about this on the news, but it's true, where venereal disease is epidemic. Epidemic, it's, it's horrible. Where teenage pregnancy is still a serious issue and changes the lives of these young kids dramatically, radically. Or they have an abort millions of aborted babies every year and millions of relationships, millions upon millions of relationships are broken or negatively, negatively impacted because of pornography, which, you know, we, oh, it's freedom of press. Well, it's destroying lives and destroying relationships. Let me say it again. Sometimes we tend to act first and think later without any consideration of the consequences. And by the way, when I say we, I include me. I've acted without any consideration of the consequences. I've acted first and thought about it later. And I've learned this the hard way. And you don't, this is one of those things you don't have to learn the hard way. I'm gonna look at Genesis chapter 25. Story of uh, two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And uh, Esau in this story, you can see that he sold out for a temporary pleasure. Now, the temporary pleasure wasn't sex. It wasn't anything like that. But the principle is still true here. In fact, it's what I really want you to walk away with today. If you don't hear anything else I say, if you don't leave here with anything else in your heart and your mind, please leave with this. Your future is worth more than any temporary pleasure. This is the, land, the truth I want you to land on. Your future is worth more than any temporary pleasure that you could experience. In other words, God has plans, more planned for you and his plans are more valuable to you than any temporary satisfaction or pleasure you might experience. In fact, trust me on this. I know it from experience. No temporary pleasure is worth the long-term pain. No. Temporary pleasure is worth the long-term pain. Genesis chapter 25. Let's take a look at it. I'll pick it up verse 24. When the time came for her, speaking of Rebecca, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. Esau literally means hairy one. So instead of calling him Harry, they call him Esau. But he's a hairy guy. Verse 26, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob, which literally means, guess, heel grabber or catcher. Heel catcher, that's what it literally means. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter. A man of the open country, a man's man. While Jacob was, I threw that in, that's me. While Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents, Isaac, who had a taste for a wild game, loved Esau. Daddy loved his boy Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. Verse 31, Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Jacob was a conniving sort of guy. And said, I, yeah, I know how hungry you are, and I know because you're the firstborn that you've got the, the, all these extra benefits. Well, sell me your birthright for this cup of stew. Uh, stew. Now, the birthright, what does that mean? Essentially, what uh, Esau is about to give up here is his double portion. He was due double whatever uh, resource, land, 
possessions that would have been uh, Jacob. He got twice as much. And in addition to that, he was the heir apparent to leading the family. He would have become the leader in worship and the leader in war. He was given up position as well. Verse 32, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. A little bit of an exaggeration. What good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath. Esau swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some stew. And he ate and drank, and then they got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright, it says in verse 34. An interesting tale of two brothers, Esau and Jacob. Esau, the firstborn, by a couple of minutes. And Esau was the hunter. He was the, the hunk. He was the, hunt, the, the, the jock of the day. He, Esau was daddy's boy. Jacob, though, was different. Verse 27 says, Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. In other words, Jake was not a hunk, not a hunter, and, and not the, the studly jock that his brother was. In fact, Jacob was a mama's boy. Jacob liked to cook. So he stayed home. One day, Esau came back starving after his latest hunting escapade, no doubt, and being driven by his appetite. Catch this. What was happening in Esau's heart? He was driven by these cravings, by his appetite. It says that he despised his birthright, meaning he became indifferent toward it. He lost sight of it. It didn't matter to him. He sold out for a bowl of stew. What happened? He lost sight of his future, all for the sake of of a temporary pleasure. He lost sight of what was his and what he would have had all just to satisfy something in the immediate. Esau gave up some big bucks and gave up everything that was rightfully his. Why? Because he wanted to satisfy this longing of his body. Can you imagine how Esau must have felt though? He finally has the stew. He's got a full belly, but I think he had a broken heart. He realized how foolish, how stupid, what an idiot. I gave up my future. For this. But that's the way sin is. I'm not going to mince words about this. I'm not going to try and kid you. This is something we all know, and I'll admit it. Sin is fun. If your mama told you sin is bad, sin will hurt you, sin is not fun, well, she's right and she's wrong. Sin is fun. Sin is awesome. It's pleasurable until you're done. Until you're done. Until you get to the point where it's over and you realize now the regret and the shame and the guilt that you have to carry. I've got a friend. His, uh, I'll call him Hank, it's not his real name. But Hank uh, was my pastor for many years. Um, a mentor in my life. In fact, much of what I've learned about doing church and planting churches came from my experience with Hank. I loved him. I still love him like a brother. He was very dear to me, and we were very close. We went off to plant a church in Portland, Oregon. And a few years later, I uh, found out that Hank had an affair. And it cost him everything. He had, notice past tense, had a beautiful wife who loved Jesus and loved him with all her heart. Lost her. He had a growing, healthy, wonderful church that I'd been a part of and helped plant. He, he lost his ministry, was no longer the pastor of that church. He had the respect and admiration of hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people really throughout the country. Highly regarded. And yet that was all gone just like that, that quickly. All to satisfy a temporary pleasure. All to satisfy something that he had. He lost sight of his future all for the sake of something temporary that cost him everything. What a loss for the kingdom. All for a roll in the hay. Now before we get too quick to throw stones at my friend Hank, the truth is, I think we've all done that. We've all lost sight of what we could have 
and given in to something temporary. You know, when it comes to sex, I, I'm not going to teach on sex this morning, but I will admit to you, um, sex is good. It's fun. Sex is amazing. In fact, often I thank God for sex. Thank you, God, for sex. Within, listen, within the context of a covenant marriage, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's supposed to be awesome. But illicit sex is never worth losing everything over, but so many do. Forbidden sex may be exciting for a time, for a while, but after a while, it's still just sex. And it's so easy for us to lose sight of the big picture, all for a temporary pleasure, all for a moment that may and probably will cost us everything. Why would we sell out so easily for something so temporary? I think that's a question we need to wrestle with. Whatever it is we're dealing with, sex or whatever other issue it is, why would we sell out the great things that God has for us? You see, I know it's hard to believe. Some of you don't get it yet. Some of you don't really believe this. You're going to hear me say this, and you go, yeah, it's true for maybe that guy or that woman or Kurt, but that's not true for me. But this is truth. This is Bible truth for all of us. And I could spend an hour talking about that. I won't. But here's the truth. God has a plan for you. You have a birthright in him as a son or a daughter of the king. As a son or daughter of God, God has an incredible plan and destiny for you. And his plans go way beyond your ability to even figure it all out, beyond your imagination. And his plans are unique to you. God, thank God his plans not for all of us to be like me, to be a pastor or an author. He's got unique, special plans for you that from the beginning of time, he has purpose and plan and set into place that he wants you to fulfill. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He said, No eye has seen, no ear heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Paul's saying, we, don't even, we can't even completely wrap our brain around all that God has for us. Great big plans. In fact, so big that our little pea brains cannot even begin to fathom all that God has for us. And yet so often we sacrifice those great plans, the birthright that we have in him for something temporary and so much less. Many years ago, in fact, I think it's five or six years ago now, uh, my wife and I were on a tiny little island uh, called Kwajalein in the Marshall Islands in the South Pacific. Now, you're going to hate me for telling the story to you, but I'm going to tell it to you anyhow. It was awesome. I was on sabbatical. Um, I actually was kind of doing w du double duty. It was an opportunity to go someplace and to really get away on sabbatical, and I did a TDY, uh, temporary duty as a chaplain for an army base there as well. And it was awesome. Loved it. A small island, not a lot of people. In fact, you could walk from one end of the island in about 10, 15 minutes, depending on how fast you are. And it was South Pacific, guys, okay? Warm, warm water, palm trees, get the idea. And, and uh, it's just incredible. This tiny little island in the South Pacific in the Marshall Islands. And I loved it. Loved every part of it. It was awesome. One night, my wife and I, uh, in fact, we did this many nights, because uh, it was so hot sometimes during the day, we took a, a walk in the evening. And the sun is setting, and, and the wind is blowing through the palms, and the water's lapping under the shore. Get it? I told you you'd hate me. So it's this, it's this beautiful setting, and we're, it's like, it's unbelievable. And the sun sets, and there's no moon, and it's like you could see a gazillion stars. We were out there a while, and, and I'm just like, wow. In fact, I got a picture I want to show you. This is not that picture. I ripped this one off of Google, but it's, this picture doesn't do it justice. What we saw was somewhat similar to this, water and a sky filled. When there's no city lights and no moon and it's dark and you're out in the middle of nowhere, I'm telling you, it's awesome. 
And we just stood there in awe, and it was pretty romantic. But anyhow, <laughs> we're loving this experience and loving all of this. And here I am in the middle of this, and God just whispers this to my heart. Kurt, I have plans for you. As big as this universe is, as amazing as all that you see is, you see, God created it all. Universe upon universe. We don't even know how many are out there. God says, as big as all of that is, I know you. I know your name. I have a plan for you. I know your life. You matter to me. Now, I don't know about you, but that blows me away. That the God of the universe has a plan for me. That he knows my name. He knows my future. That he's got a purpose for me. And here's the deal. You ready? This is cool. It's not just me. It's all of us. It's you as well. God created you for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance, in advance for us to do. I love this verse. Paul said, we are God's workmanship. And that word means, it, it's, it's, it's poema in the Greek. It means we're his masterpiece. We're God's poem. We, I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself as a masterpiece, but that's the way God looks at you. you this morning when you woke up and you looked in the mirror, some of you thought, oh, but the truth is you should look in the mirror and say, I'm a masterpiece created by God. Because God has formed and developed and is, and is working in you and leading you towards this great purpose that he has for your life. We are God's workmanship, his work of art, his masterpiece. Created in relationship with Christ to do good works, which he prepared in advance long before you were even born. He had a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life. He's got an adventure for every one of us. Boring's not even in his vocabulary. But here's the sad part. Every time we choose sin, and I've been there, you're not getting judgment from me, no condemnation from me. But every time we choose sin, we choose a different path away from God's plans, away from our God-given birthright. And it breaks his heart. Now here's the goodness. So you're like, oh man. Here's the goodness. Listen. Like I said last week, there's nothing you can do to earn God's love or to lose his love. Let me say it again. There's nothing you can ever do to earn his love or to lose his love. It's yours. But here's another sad reality. Our sin can short-circuit his plans for us. It can take us down this path, down this rabbit trail. You know, it can derail us. Use whatever word picture you want. I'm mixing my metaphors. But it'll take us down this place that is not where God meant for us to be. And as long as we stay there, wandering away from him, as long as we're there, then we're going to miss what he's destined and planned for us. But the good news is, all we have to do is repent and return. As long as we refuse to do that, then we're going to wander. In fact, here's another little phrase I want you to take home with. As long as we wander, we live in the wasteland. As long as you and I wander, we live in the wasteland. But the good news is, we can't come back. I know from first-hand experience that God can restore and renew any life. It's what he did for me. And I've seen him do it for thousands of others. Our part's to surrender, to yield, to return. To use that word repent, which is not a real popular word in some circles. But to say, God, I know I've gone off track. I know I've failed. I know I went my way. But Lord, I'm home again. I'm back to you. And if there's anything I want to be a great at, I want to be a great repenter. Because I know I'm a pretty stupid sinner at times. So I want to be a really great repenter. I want to be the guy who is constantly coming to this place of brokenness, yieldedness, surrender. Oh, God, here I am again. And here's the great news. You know what? God never gets tired of our repentance. Can I get one amen? 
God never gets, it's not, he's never going to say, I am so sick and tired of you repenting. Never going to hear that from the Father. Every time we re repent and return, then he begins that work of restoration. Maybe you've been thinking or fantasizing about something really stupid. You know it's bad, you know it's wrong. You can argue with somebody, you know, and try to justify it. But in your heart, you know it's, it's wrong. And that desire for some forbidden pleasure, maybe it's driving you crazy, whatever it is. And you, can't st you just think about it all the time. It's like, oh, and, and you toy with it. Listen very carefully to me. Listen, it's never worth it. It is never worth it to go there. Don't buy the lie of the enemy, Satan who hates you, or the lie of our culture that says, that's okay, it's no big deal. Just enjoy yourself. Don't buy the lie. Don't sacrifice or delay what God has for you just for a temporary pleasure. You can choose. The amazing thing about us humans is that God gave us the ability to choose. Free will is what the Bible calls it. We can choose. We can choose to follow him or not, to say yes to him or not, to say no to sin or not. And the other thing that's awesome, and I don't have time to unpack this this morning, but we choose, we, make, we take the first little baby step, and then God empowers us by his Holy Spirit who lives within us to do everything that we can ever do on our own. Our part's just to simply say, I surrender. I need you, God. And I choose you. And then we are empowered by his spirit to live a life we could never live on our own. There's some practical things, though, you can do. Let me just give you just a couple things I want you to think about. One of them is tell somebody about your struggle. Tell somebody. Bring it to the light. I, I know this firsthand experience, and I know it's what the Bible teaches, that sin loses, begins to lose its grip and its power over us when we bring it to the light. When we bring it into the presence of God and others who love God, we need to get help. We need to not wait too long. Some of us will wait too long to, to cry out for help. We're struggling in our marriage, struggling in a relationship, struggling with some sin, and we just think, well, I'll just deal with it. I, I can handle this. I'll be okay. And months later, we find ourselves in the same place and just devastated by it, and we need to come quickly. Not just bring it to the light, but quickly come to get the help that we need. James said this in James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And James' book is very practical. And he says, confess your what? Your sins to one another. Why? So that, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that you may be whole. So that you may experience wholeness of mind, heart, soul, and body. And James says there's power in confession. What's the power? We bring it to the light. You see, when we hold things and we cover it and we hide it, that's when it has a grip on of us, over us. That's when it has power over us. But the instant we say to somebody that we trust, a friend, a spouse, somebody we, we know we can speak truth to and love and say, hey, you know what, I'm really wrestling with this, I'm struggling with this, the minute, the second we do that, it begins to lose its grip and its power over our lives. And we begin to experience the wholeness that comes. You know, like many others, um, and me, maybe you've failed. Maybe you've gone off the path that God has for you. And I'm talking this morning, and you realize, man, I am so far down this trail, I don't even know where God wants me to be. I don't even know how to get back. Maybe you've lost sight of your future, of God's birthright for you all for the thrill of a moment, whether it's sex or drugs or whatever. 
Maybe you've sold out your unique birthright, like Esau, and you're, you qualify for the Dumb and Dumber Award of I gave up the great for the, for the meaningless. If that's you, then I want you to hear this. Epic grace is yours for the taking. It's yours. Embrace it. Run to it. Don't stay buried under that. Don't stay, you know, beating yourself up. Just run to. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us come. Run to that throne of mercy and grace to find the grace we need to help us. Run to God. If you are struggling, the best thing you need to do is bring it to the light, confess it, and run to the Father to get his help. It's never too late, and you're never too far from God. That's what I need you to hear today. Some of you are all wrapped up. You're, you're, you're right now in regret world, thinking about all the stupid things you did. Don't stay there. Don't get locked into that. That's the enemy feeding that in your heart right now. What I want you to do is say, God, yes, I confess that I have failed. Yes, I confess my sin. But Jesus, I'm running to you. And I'm going to embrace the grace that you offer to me. And it's yours. It's free for the taking. I love what Pastor Greg Dickhouse says. In fact, he's rather famous for it. He says, God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. Isn't that good? God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. And when you get that, when you understand that, then you're going to run to him in the midst of your sin. We all fail. We all blow it. We all make mistakes. But to be free, we've got to live free. To be free, we've got to live free. And we live free by understanding that there's no temporary pleasure worth the long-term pain. By understanding that God's got a destiny, a purpose for each and every one of us. By understanding that the best way to break the power of that sin and darkness is to confess it, bring it to the light, to bring it to somebody that we can trust that will help us and pray for us. And then when we do fail, and notice I said when, not if, when we do fail, instead of running from God, we run to him. We run to that throne of grace. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I am so grateful for your goodness towards us that is always there, always ours, always available no matter what. And some of us this morning, uh, we've been thinking a lot about the sin we've committed, the mistakes we've made, the regrets that we have. And we've been feeling a lot of um, perhaps condemnation or guilt. And Lord, the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I pray right now that we would just come to you, that we would run to you, that we would bring our sin to the light, that we would bring our hearts again to you and say, God, I have failed, I've blown it, but I am so sorry, and I want to walk with you. I want to love you. Forgive me, help me, empower me. Let me experience that cleansing grace again. Wash away that stain again, and let me know the joy of your salvation. God, I pray that many right now would be crying that prayer to you, that they would come home. God, for some of us, we've been toying with sin, thinking about something stupid, and today we've been reminded quite clearly, I think, that it's not worth it. Help us today to understand that it's not, and to not sell our birthright, to see the long view, the long, the, the, the long-term impact, Lord, and to not go temporary, to, to go eternal. And perhaps, Lord, some of us are here today and we've not yet started our walk with Jesus. I pray today be the day that they say yes to you and experience that grace and that goodness of God in their life that sets them free, that sets them free to be free and to live free in you. Amen. Right now, we're going to take communion. In fact, I'm going to ask the ushers to come and begin to hand out the elements. 
Uh, let me explain a couple things. Listen carefully. There's two cups. One's got the, the double cup. The one below it's got the, the uh, cracker. The one on top's got the grape juice. Just take the cups and hold on to them. We'll take together just a moment. We'll take the elements together. So just take it and hold it. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is important, guys. What I'm going to ask you to do is take this time. We're going to, the band's going to sing a song. If you want to sing it with us, great. If you want to just pray, great. But here's what I hope you'll do in this moment, that you'll be reflecting on where you're at. If you've been wrestling with sin, confess that to God. They go, I'm not worthy of taking communion. None of us are outside of the grace that's ours. So just come. Say, Lord, oh, man, I'm such an idiot. I'm so stupid. I've, I need your grace. I need you again. And you're going to hold in your hand. That cracker and that grape juice which represents it's symbolic of his body broken for you, his blood shed for you, that he loves you more than his own life. Why wouldn't you run to that throne of mercy and grace right now? As you hold those elements in your hand, say, God, I'm here. If you've been far from him, if you've been a prodigal, say, Lord, I'm coming home today. If you've got some sin you need to confess, confess it, deal with it in your heart. And if you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower, but you know in your gut it's time. It's time for me to say yes, to surrender my life, to embrace the grace that's mine in Christ, to follow him, to become a follower of Jesus. Then today for you, that little cracker or that little cup of juice can be the beginning you can take that today as a, as a sign of, Lord, I'm, I'm taking this, surrendering my life to you because you surrendered your life for me. I'm going to take this today as the beginning of my walk with you, of my decision. This is my beginning right here. For you, this can be the beginning of your relationship with God forever. Let this be a time of reflection. I'll come back and we'll take together just a moment. Close your eyes just for a minute. I just don't want you to think about anything or anyone but Jesus. When he had that last supper with the disciples, he said, as often as you do this, I want you to remember me. And what I want you to do today, more than anything else on this planet, more than anything else at this moment, right here, right now, I want you to remember Jesus. His love drove him to the cross for you. His love brought him to the point where he sacrificed his body and his blood for you. The reason why I call it epic grace is because it's way bigger than us, bigger than we can even comprehend or understand. How could God send his one and only son to die for the sins of the world because of his love? And what we have the opportunity to do, to do right now is to celebrate that love, to celebrate that sacrifice made for us. One of the things we all share in common, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But one of the things we can all share in common is the grace and the goodness of God. And so, if you're here and you today are making the choice to begin your life as a Christ follower, let this communion be the beginning for you. If you've been a prodigal and you've wandered off from God, let this today be your return. If you've failed this week, and we all have, in mind or heart, somewhere, somehow, we said something, did something, let this today be your moment again of remembering that God's grace is bigger than all our sin. And all he asks of us is that we come and run to him. And so Jesus said, as he took the bread and he broke it, he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take it, eat in remembering of me. Take the cup now. Thank you, Lord. And then he took the cup and he looked him in the eyes and they didn't understand it. But he said, guys, 
what you hold now in this cup is my blood shed for you. And it's the sign of the new covenant, a new way, a way of grace, a way of forgiveness, a way that washes away all of our past, present, and future sins. And Jesus said, so take the cup and do it in remembrance of my blood shed for you. James, because of your love, let's sing it one more time together. My prayer for you is that you'll go this week, and when you fail, and you will, a thought, a word, an action, a look, that you will immediately remember this moment, that his grace is there for you, and that you would bring that to the light, whether it's just falling on your knees before him or coming to someone and saying, hey, help me, pray for me right now, but that you would walk in the grace that is yours that you would walk in the forgiveness that is yours, that you wouldn't be bound by darkness or, or hide anything, but know that because of his love, we can walk in freedom. Be free, live free. That's my prayer for you this week. If you need prayer, prayer to him be down front. And I want you to know that they're here because they want to love on you and support you. So if you need prayer, prayer to him be down here. But go this week. Go walk in the freedom that is yours in Christ. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.